Y'all turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verse 18 to 25 this morning. Thank you for being here and gathering in worship with us today. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting, know that you're welcome, and we're glad that you've joined us. Before we get started, let's pray. We always um, like to start off by praying for our civil leadership and then also praying for another church in the area. So let's do that now. Father, we're grateful this morning for Highland Terrace Baptist Church, and specifically in ways that they have chosen to serve our body, and we're thankful for them and their service and in their partnership with us. We want to pray this morning for all of their staff, all of their deacons, everyone who leads in that church, that you would help them endure and press on faithfully, and that their fuel for their worship and their life will be your word, what it says, and your promises, and that they're true. And that they'd be characterized like by that just like we would. We pray that for us this morning as well. And we pray for all of those who make decisions in all of the communities that surround us. Um, so many people that gather here are from so many different communities on so many different um, levels of leadership. And um, we pray that you would give wisdom and boldness, and you would give um, a real discernment to the, those that lead in civil positions so that there would be peace and cooperation so that your gospel would move forward and that dead hearts would come to life because of the gospel and the good news found in Jesus. That's why we pray um, that this morning for our leadership, that you would keep things peaceful and civil so that the gospel continues to go forward. And um, I pray this morning that you would encourage us with your word and that we would get clarity and a perspective as we now yearn for your second coming and that we would do it rightly and patiently. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This is the last sermon in our Advent series. Up to now, we've been speaking primarily and preaching primarily on this first coming of Jesus. Um, now we're going to shift in this last sermon to what, now what are we patiently yearning for? And that's the title of the sermon, Patient Yearning. Now we are looking forward to another coming and most of you have heard Micah chapter 5 quoted in the last few weeks. I may refer to Micah chapter 5 a couple of times this morning, but that's how God moved with his people then, looking for the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah in the manger, is very similar to how he expects us and calls us to wait on his second coming. So there's some similarities, not all together the same, but some similarities that I might refer to. And I just want to give you a quick sweep of what Micah chapter 5 is saying, what the prophet Micah, what God is saying through him in Micah chapter 5, because uh, we don't have time this morning, especially with the kiddos in here, to unpack that because he, he speaks in terms of symbolism, and then he speaks literally, and then he moves to the next sentence and speaks in symbolism again, and it's difficult. So let me give you the sweep of what Micah 5 is saying when the context of Micah 5 is that uh, 
the religious leaders are in cahoots with political leaders, basically to make money and take from the poor. There's fraud, there's pestilence, there's sickness, injustice all around, oppression. God's people are not listening to him and they are caught up in the cares of the world. And Micah, really alone, speaks to them and says, he's gonna send a ruler and he's gonna come through little insignificant Bethlehem of Judah and he's gonna come humbly and he will start a remnant. He will call a remnant out. He will rule in the hearts of men. It'll be an invisible kingdom. And then Micah goes on to say, and by the way, between now and then Israel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna subject you to some things, some, to some bondage. I'm gonna subject you to some suffering in hopes that you will come back to me and depend on me. I'm gonna take away everything you depend on, your strengths. I'm gonna take your chariots, your strong horses, your weapons. You're gonna be in bondage to another country in hopes that you will get the Messiah that comes and that you will understand the Messiah coming. And so, very similarly, Paul gives us how and what is to characterize our waiting on his coming, his second coming. And so, how we wait matters. How we wait on his second coming, on him coming back to create new heavens and new earth and perfect everything, how we wait on that matters. And so that's what we'll get here, hopefully, in Romans chapter 8. So look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. We're going to read all of it, uh, that passage, and then we'll go back and look at it specifically, different parts here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hopes, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now let's look at verse 18, that first phrase there. For I consider the sufferings of this present time. What he means there, what Paul means there, is not persecution. Uh, what he means by suffering there is not um, being treated unfairly or treated badly because of your faith. Or um, it's not just talking about great tragedy. When we think of suffering, a lot of times we think something that is just too much. Um, or, or maybe it's something that's so unfair and only a few people really suffer. And maybe we think of suffering as something that happens in another country, not America, because we have so much, right? But I want you to 
really understand what he's saying here, what, what Paul is saying here is a general suffering. This life is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not right. It's difficult and hard, and everyone suffers in some way. Now, for some of you, you have suffered greatly in many ways. And for some of us, we haven't suffered so much, but we've all suffered. Here's what I mean. Suffering is all around you and it's all around me. Think of the current sickness and how many parents walked in without their spouse today because somebody's sick at home. I mean, everybody's sick right now, right? Somebody on your street is sick. So sickness, allergy shots, right? It's just this futility that he's talking about here. You, you get the allergy shot, you're good for a week, and then what? You get another allergy shot, right? Suffering. It's not right. Your body is not perfect. Flu shots. Kids, you love the flu shot, right? Flu shots, we have to have them. Why? And then sometimes they don't even take, right? I've, I've heard of kids getting a flu shot and then still getting the flu. That's the futility and the suffering he's talking about. Spouses leave. The character of this pilgrimage is harsh and hard and suffering can be anything from an allergy shot to the sudden death of a loved one or the prolonged terminal illness of a loved one. We all suffer. Brain tumors, followed by pneumonia, cancer, money problems, keeping weight off. That's a constant battle, the older I get. I mean, it used to be easy for me, and now it's not. Suffering, my body is not perfect. My knees hurt every time for the first 10 or 15 minutes of every run I go on. My knees just hurt every time I play basketball. For the first 10 or 15 minutes, they hurt. And Terry Sadler can help me with that, but he can't fix it because I'm getting old. You see it? Suffering all around you and me. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Fighting weeds in your yard. If you don't fight, they're coming back. Wink, wink. <laughs> Cars break down, right? Some of you have been neglected and abused. Some of you, nothing short of brutality. Suffering, murder, horrible, unfair bosses. Some of you have worked for people who make it so hard to do your job. Suffering. Less qualified people get promoted right past you. It's hard. It's just unfair sometimes. And it's tough. That's what Paul's talking about, the suffering of this present age. It's all around us. But things are being renewed, but they are not as they should be. We live in a corrupted age because of the sin and death that Scott talked about last week. Sin and death has corrupted, and things are not how they're supposed to be. This is an age where we live where we say this a lot. Are you kidding me? One kid's sick, two kid's sick, three kid's sick. 
Some people you wonder, what have they done because of the suffering they encounter? And maybe that's you. you the car breaks, you're out of money, you get sick, and it's, are you kidding me? Really? The older we get, we find out something else that's breaking on us. Are you kidding me? More work to stay healthy. I, heard, I hear the kids say this a lot. Really? Really? And that's the character of what Paul's saying here. Really? Something else is breaking. Something else is not right. Something else is hurting. Something else is frustrating. And something else is unfair. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Just a general, things are not right. They're corrupted. Are you kidding me? Something else is not right. And so in verse 19, the end of verse 18, he says, those things are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory that's to be revealed to us. And when he says it's not worth comparing, what he means is there's no way to measure. I don't think he's, he's meaning don't compare. I think, I think what he's saying here is there's no way to get an accurate measurement on what's coming for us as believers. It's so heavy, it's so beautiful, it's so big, it's so amazing that when you place your suffering on one side of the scale and you compare it to what's coming and what he's doing and what he says he will do, there's no way to get an accurate measurement. It's just my grandmother had one of those little scales growing up and it had the weights on one side and then on the other side was a plate hanging by three chains. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The scale where you, you put something on this side and then the needle in the middle will tell you how much it weighs based on the weight that's on this side. Now, you engineers probably already got that, but for the rest of us, the, the weight on this side will give you the measurement based on what you put on this side. Now, it was a very small scale and we always loved playing with it, but we had a hard time finding something small enough in the house. I think every toy in the 70s was made out of lead. You, you, we had a hard time finding stuff laying around the house to get a measurement. We'd love to see, because it was just ounces. And so we would place things on there just to see the needle move and it would swing and it would settle in and you would know exactly how much that weighed. And we would just play with it. But it took five, six, seven times before we could actually get a measurement on something. The first five or times we found something to put on there, we would we'd put something on that plate and it would just poof, bottom out. And while that needle is as far over as it will go, you don't have a correct measurement on the weight of what's on that plate because it's so big. It's so heavy. You don't even have a correct measurement. It just, and it would make this plink sound. Plink. We put something so heavy. Plink. It would plink out the scale. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. Compared to what you're going through, whatever it is, Compared to what you will go through in 2014, compared to that suffering, whatever, it may feel like a million pounds. I don't know what you're going through exactly, but when you put what's coming for the believer over here, it bottoms it out. There's no way to get a measurement. You can't even compare, but it's good to compare. It's good, is it not, to hear plink? Man, I love that. And I love this. I, there's this weird, odd comfort in knowing I'm not the only one suffering. We are 
suffering a pilgrimage together. And so this is what we don't do. I don't compare my suffering to your suffering. I compare my suffering to what's coming. Plink. And you compare your suffering to what's coming. Plink, bottoms it out. But there's a comfort in knowing I'm suffering and you are too. It may not look like you're suffering, but it's hard for me just like it's hard for you. No one in here is able magically to just make money and save money. It takes a work and a fight. No one in here is able to just keep yourself healthy. No one in here can ultimately defend every sickness. Nobody. We're all suffering through an age that's corrupted and we're together in it. Is that, I hope that encourages you to know that we're in it together. And when we compare our suffering, we all compare it to a plink, bottoms out the scale compared to what's coming. Now, let's look at what's coming. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain freedom. Freedom from, uh, of the glory of the children of God. What's being revealed? Um, What's being revealed is us. He will, because he said he would, pull back the curtain and he will call us his sons and daughters. Now, think of this in this terms. Now, I won't use the term that Luther used when he calls us half saved. That can unnerve us, right? I mean, in our context, calling somebody half saved can, whoa, what do you mean? I'm saved. But Luther called it half saved. This is what I mean. He has regenerated our hearts. He has woken us. Lazarus has come out of the tomb. My dead heart is alive and I'm aware and I depend on and count on and trust Jesus for my salvation. And no other, there's no other hope for me. And so my heart is alive with that. And in faith, I profess that. And in faith, I've been baptized into that. But he hasn't yet completely revealed me as his son. Think of it in this, these terms. Most of you have been close enough to adoption in this church that you understand that when you take a child in with the hopes of adopting, they come to your home for six months in the state of Texas. And while they live in your house and they eat your food and you clothe them and you take care of them and you walk with them, you may even give them your name, your family name. But it's not official until a judge in a courtroom six months later reveals to everyone with paper that's your son, that's your daughter. And so that is the hope that we have. We live by faith now and it's gonna become sight. What we see, the, the realities of what we see right now will all be made perfect. These things that we don't see that we're hoping for I mean, how do you know that that guy's a Christian? Is, is she a Christian? Is he a Christian? You have signs, you have fruit, you have profession. But there's coming a day where there will be no doubt who his children are. It, it, all the lights will come on. Curtain ripped back, my children, and they're with me forever. 
That's the revealing he's talking about. No more wondering. No more need for perseverance or hope. Let that sink in a minute. No more need for persevering. No more need for hoping. Done with him, perfected. No more suffering. No more fight. No more flu shots. No more. No more wondering who we are. No more wondering who his bride is. Revealed for the whole world to see and he will make everything new and everything perfect, including our bodies. No more need for perseverance or hope because, listen, perseverance and hope, those are pretty words and they go really nice on the wall on a plaque from the Christian bookstore. But perseverance and hope are hard. They're difficult. And we won't need them anymore because we'll be with him totally revealed as his sons and his daughters. That's coming. Plink. That's coming. Now, it reminds me of what Paul said to the Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He elaborates on this just a little better in 2 Corinthians 4. It really kind of brings this home. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, remember, he's not talking about don't compare. He's just saying there's no way to measure it. It's so unbelievable what's coming. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Hear this, pilgrims, okay? Take this in. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For the slight momentary affliction is being prepared, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you hear it plink in the scale? Wham! You can't even compare with what's gonna happen. So he calls what we're going through now slight and momentary. Now it doesn't feel for most of us momentary and it doesn't feel slight. And it won't if you don't compare. If we don't think and look forward and anticipate and yearn. If we're not yearning for what we know is to come, we will get caught up in and frustrated by and discouraged and want to quit if we're not yearning and thinking about what's coming. That's the patient, eager yearning he's talking about. Back in Romans chapter 8, turn back to Romans 8. Without the comparison, it just makes it tough. I wonder when, when the last time suffering landed at your doorstep, it could have been this week. I mean, anywhere from sickness to somebody stealing from you or having a wreck or losing a loved one, whatever it is, suffering, things not being right lands at your doorstep. If, if the last time that happened 
was our first thought, why me, why us? Or was it, oh yeah, suffering. That's, that's how this is, that's this pilgrimage. I'm, I'm not surprised. Now that doesn't take away from the pain. I'm not surprised, but let me get my scale out here. Plink. Is that our first reaction as believers to any sort of suffering? I, it's not mine, <laughs> typically. But that's what Paul is urging us to think about here. Next time suffering hits your doorstep, your family, close or near you in your small group, our first thought as believers is, oh, what's coming? What's coming? I can compare this, what's going on right now, with what he's going to do. And I can take courage, and I can endure, and I can keep going, and I can be patient, and I can wait on that because I can't, I don't even have a brain big enough to understand how great it's gonna be and how beautiful and perfect it will be. Now, look at verse 20. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hopes that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Here's another comforting thought. The sufferings that we endure are not haphazard sufferings. He's not getting, God is not getting a kick out of frustrating you and me. He doesn't get a kick out of it, of pulling the rug out from under you and your family. He doesn't laugh at you when your boss makes your life horrible. He doesn't laugh at your problems. He doesn't laugh at your suffering. He's not pulling the rug out. In fact, he is the one that subjected us to this feudal pilgrimage. He did it the same way he did it in Micah 5 to Israel in hopes of what? That they would believe in Jesus in hopes that they would depend on him. This futility and this suffering, this general suffering that we walk in together lays the groundwork for hope. Did you hear that? The suffering, this, this suffering of this age that we live in on this side of the cross, hoping for a new heaven, a new earth, lays the groundwork for hope so that we have something to look forward to. We have something to hope in. It, it's a good God because listen, look, be honest. If we had no suffering at all and everything was perfect, you wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't either. Why would I need to? I mean, I, just think about the, the few little seasons you have where you got a lot of money in the bank and you're healthy, and things are, and the wind's at your back, and you're, oh man, things are great. Ah, we're good. Well, that's when dust collects on my Bible, if I'm being honest with you. I don't, why would I, I don't need him. <laughs> things are good, right? Plenty of money. Kids are acting like angels. Why do I need to hope in him? And so he is a loving and good God to subject us to sufferings in hopes that we will turn to him, trust him, hope in him, believe in him, in what he's doing, to believe that what he said he will do, to believe that he is coming and that he will perfect things and to trust it and to hope in it. Can't see it, haven't seen it yet. Micah didn't see it. Micah's alone proclaiming to Israel Hey, 
he's coming and a, and a kingdom's gonna be started and a remnant's gonna be started and basically he's saying the church is gonna be started and he stood up. Micah hung his life on what God said. So did Paul and so can we. Micah never saw it. Never saw Jesus come but he hung his life on it, on what God said. And you and I may not see him come back. We may die, but we can hang our life on it. It's gonna happen. And we can hope for it and we can yearn for it. And that's the way to endure, is to patiently yearn for him. Another thing that this suffering does is it roots out the cares of the world. It roots out the cares of the world. When he takes things from us, when he makes things difficult, when this life makes things difficult for you and me, it keeps us from falling in love with this place, right? Now, there's plenty of things to love. There's plenty. He gives good gifts. He gives good graces. I mean, just go to Colorado and look around. I mean, go to the ocean and look. I mean, there's good gifts. He gives us good things, a good meal with your small group or a good meal with another couple, with your family. Some of you just experienced some really good gifts, some good things, But this keeps us from falling in love with those things completely. And it keeps us focused on him because we know that everything is futile. There's futility in it all. I can't, I can't depend on, you may be sitting there thinking, well, Brad, what about technology? What about all of the medicine, you know, that's, that we have now that's saving some people's lives? Well, I mentioned it a while ago. What was it, four or five years ago? There's another strand of the flu Ah, that's really helpful. It's futility. My, my iPhone 5, I can do so much with that. My, my family, ministry, uh, church, and work, all through that phone, email, text. I mean, it's amazing. Technology is amazing. So is medicine. But I'm on my third battery for that phone. Something breaks on it twice a year. It's not ultimate, Perfection. And it will always disappoint. <clears throat> There's only so much that can be done. I want to fix things. That's my first response to suffering. What can I do to fix it? I want to make this right. I need to get more money, maybe a different job or a better job, or I need to, a new shopping trip, more income. Um, I need to do something here to... If we just had more date nights, our marriage wouldn't be difficult. If I just had more of date nights alone away from the kids, then our marriage wouldn't be difficult. I can fix this. I've got a plan here. I think I can make things new and better. And instead, my response should be, oh yeah, things are not right. They're not. And they're not right on purpose and for a reason. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I hope that we're marked by that this next year, that our first response is not to fix things. There's nothing wrong with trying to make things right in our effort. The church is to love justice and let it roll like a river. I'm not saying we don't try, but I'm saying our response to the suffering of this age is, yes, there's suffering on purpose and for a reason. Come, Lord Jesus. That's our response. Kids, listen to me for a minute. I'm almost done. Kids and especially teenagers, students, young adults. 
Here in the next few years, some of you a little longer, things are gonna get really real for you. You are sheltered and protected and taken care of, and that's God's design. But in a few years, you're going to be experiencing some things in life that are difficult. And I wanna ask you a question, just to begin thinking about when life gets really real, when a, when a friend uh, stops being your friend for no reason, when somebody steals from you, when somebody really close to you dies and it's really sad, when, when you get really sick and you just can't get, you have a hard time getting better, when that happens and it feels like somebody has pulled the rug out from under you, the only thing, kids, the only thing that will not slip out from under you is what God said. And what he promises will happen. And when you place your hope in friends and when you place your hope in stuff and you place your hope in toys or you place your hope in a car or a college and that slips out from under you, what God said, he's gonna come back and make things right. You can trust him. You can believe what he said will happen. This is the only thing, kids, that will never slip out from under you, ever. Micah hung his life on it. Paul hung his life on it. Your mamas and daddies are hanging their life on this. You hang your life on this. It's the only thing that will never slip out from under you. Look next at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's this creation groaning with us. Not only are we groaning, but creation is groaning. We groan together and creation is groaning. And it, you may think, well, how can creation groan? And how are you, you know, you're assigning feelings to inanimate objects, Brad. The psalmists do it all the time. The rocks will what? Cry out. The, the, the waves will clap and rejoice. And creation in Genesis 3, it was cursed. Thorns and thistles, bad weather. The earth is cursed too. It's cursed with us in this reality. Uh, think about a couple weeks ago. We've had five to eight years of drought in North Texas, right? The, the plants and the trees around here have been ravaged by drought. They're weakened by drought. Okay, we're gonna get a lot of moisture this winter. Okay, that's a good thing, right? Well, we get the moisture in the form of ice mageddon, and it breaks half the trees. Are you kidding me? Suffering, futility. Suffering and futility. And you look, you think about those pictures. You can still see some of it. Look back at the pictures that some of you took during that ice storm. Frustration. Trees are frustrated. The ground is frustrated with cracks you could lose your small dog in. It, the creation is frustrated and it's groaning to be made right. Just like we groan with it. He says it's like childbirth. It's like, I, now you have to import yourself to his context here. They didn't have anesthesia, no epidural, no C-section, Right? It's a, childbirth is a dangerous 
messy, long, hard thing. But in the childbirthing, we know something beautiful and and looks perfect and amazing is coming. But right now, this is not fun. This is hard. This is difficult and it's painful. And that's how Paul describes our journey as a pilgrim to this is hard and it's painful. It's not always real fun, but something beautiful is coming. So I'm gonna press on. I'm gonna keep going, patiently yearning for what's coming. Why? Because he said he would. That's why. Keep reading. For we know that whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. There it is. We will be redeemed in our bodies. Right now, we're redeemed in our heart, freed and liberated from sin and guilt. He will even make what we see perfect and the reality of the earth perfect. And we're groaning for it. We're groaning with creation for that redemption and that perfection. The difference between us and creation is that we have the first fruits. Uh, it is bigger than just Israel. It's bigger than just the church. Back up 10,000 more feet and know that Genesis 3, the world is subjected to the curse. Sin has entered. And how do we know that he's making things new? How can we trust? I know he said it. I know he said he's making things new, but how do we know? Look around here this morning. There's first fruits the, the gener- regeneration that has taken place in your heart, the fruit that you bear by the Spirit, he gave us the Spirit. And he has begun to make things new. His first step in making things new was your heart and my heart. Take courage in that. That's evidence that he's making things new, a transformed life. He has already begun to make things new. And the first step was changing your heart, changing my heart, and saving a remnant. He's already begun to make things new. Where? In the heart. Remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 4? That the, what we see is passing away, but what's inside is being renewed. That's where the renewal begins, is in us, inside of our hearts. And so we can know a transformed life is a sign he's making things new. He's already begun to make things new. The first fruits uh, comment here is uh, when, when you're planting a field and you see the plants start to grow, you know what the harvest will be like based on what the first bud looks like. If the first bud off that plant is robust and hardy and colorful and it looks right, then you know what's coming is gonna be an awesome harvest. And so for the world, the picture of what is to come is the church. They see things being made right in our hearts. They see things being made right in our life. They see how we endure in hope And then they say, oh, something better's coming. Something better is available. Something better. There's a kingdom that's true and that the rug won't slip out from under me. And they see it in us, first fruits. How do we know that he's coming? Transform lives all around you, in your home. He's already begun. That transformation and that renewal. 
There's an already, not yet. You've heard Ben and Scott mention that before. An already and not yet. He's already begun, but it's not yet complete. It's not yet done. I'm reminded of when Ben and Scott uh, did their survey when they first got here of all over town. They went and asked people if they had a church home, and most people said they didn't, but they said, hey, I'm saved. I'm good. I, I invited Jesus into my heart when I was seven or something like that. And, and what our culture in our community is saying is, it's done. I got what I needed. I'm complete, right? I don't need to walk with fellow pilgrims and sufferers. I don't need anything else. Uh, what I got was the total package when I accepted Jesus into my heart. And some of them come by that honestly because that's what they were sold. But the truth is, that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning of the renewal. Just the beginning of making things right was when he wakes someone's heart up. And it says in the parable of the sower in Mark 4 that what chokes out the word cares of the world. And so they, they live in the world and they have the cares of the world and the word just gets choked out from them. And I believe that's what's happened all around us in America and especially here that the word just gets choked out. Why? Because you're not suffering alongside with anybody else and hoping for a perfected body. You're not hoping. You're not hearing the scale plink ever with anyone else because you're alone. You think it's done when really it just begun. It just got started in our hearts and more is coming. More perfection, more beauty, more glorification is coming. It just got started and we suffer together through it. And so, verse 23, we wait eagerly. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We've all had a lesson in waiting the last couple of weeks waiting in line, waiting in traffic, waiting at a restaurant, waiting for presents. Wait, 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 wait. We don't like to wait. And my hope is that this year, anytime you have to wait, anytime you get stuck somewhere in traffic or in a line and you have to wait for something, let it remind you, I'm waiting for something big. Let it remind you of Plink, something good is coming. And it's not just this meal we're waiting on or a present. It's not just to get home out of this traffic. I'm waiting. I'm waiting in a broader sense. I'm stuck in traffic. Oh, yeah, I'm waiting. I want something. I want to get home and eat. I want to see my family. But even bigger than that, I'm waiting for plink. I'm waiting to be revealed as his son. And I'm waiting for him to perfect my body. I'm, I'm sitting here stuck in traffic. One day, my knees won't hurt. He, he will perfect all things. No, the people that suffer all around me won't suffer anymore. No more loss. No more death. I'm gonna wait patiently. And I'm gonna yearn for that new day. And he doesn't mean by be patient, be lazy. I think it's very easy for us to think, well, if he's coming back, then I don't want to put my hand to much here, right? I don't want to waste. If it's all futility, then I don't want to do anything, right? 
And then you'll hear Paul tell the Thessalonians who people thought that way. And they thought, well, I'm just gonna hang out with the church. And they end up mooching off the church food pantry and not working because they're thinking, well, he's coming back. There's no reason to press forward. And he says, whoever doesn't work, let him not eat. And so part of that patience is enduring and working hard and providing and staying in the suffering, staying in the heart. Keep getting your allergy shot. Keep eating well. Keep taking care of your body. Press through knowing that it's all the hard work and the perseverance is going to end soon. Hoping, yearning, but you don't quit. Patience is pressing. Patience is pressing on, looking forward. The prophets were hanging their life on what he said, and you and I can too. He's coming. And he's gonna make it all better. He's gonna make it all right. And that's what we hope for. Let that be our first response to any suffering that comes our way. I want you to, I wanna do something here. I want you to hear, as we wrap this up, I want you to hear the scale plink this morning. Let's do that together. I I want you to hear the scale bottom out. When you compare what you're going through right now or what those that are going through around you, I want you to hear it, bam, bottom out. Let's just do that. Turn to Revelation 21. And as you're looking at Revelation 21, I want you to think, and some of you won't have to think hard, about all those things I mentioned at the beginning. And for some of you, um, you, you have yet to learn how to groan. <laughs> you, you hide your groaning, like you're suffering. And what you're doing is you're robbing the people of God from groaning with you and with creation, and we groan together. And so let me just encourage you, if you're suffering through something, uh, it may not be something you need to keep in the closet. You need to groan with God's people and groan with creation because that will help us yearn together for his second coming and look forward. So think about those things that I listed at first, sickness, loss, sudden loss, um, just all the suffering that we mentioned. Just just think about that just a minute. And let's read Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God and he will, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on that throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. This is different from the it is finished on the cross. The it is finished on the cross is saying atonement has been finished. Atonement has been made. Now he's saying what's coming is a new 
finishing, a completion and a perfection. I am the Alpha and the Omega, and I will complete all things and make them new. I will. It's trustworthy and true. Write it down. That's what he says. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without any payment. Without payment. The one who conquers, that's us. He's not talking about Jesus there. He's talking about us. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Revealed. You hear what Paul's saying in Romans? Revealed. He's gonna be my, you're gonna be my children and everybody's gonna know it and there won't be any doubt. And then look at chapter 22. We'll finish with this. Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Grace of our Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Father, we are um, grateful that what you say you will do. I pray to God that you would make us into a people and that we would be characterized by patient yearning. That we wouldn't be shocked by suffering, but that we would endure it. Endure it with each other and grown together with the trees and with your creation and with the ground that we would groan for you to come and make things right and that our response to things not being right will be a patient hope and that we would look forward and that you'd root out the cares of the world and allow suffering to do its work in our heart to keep us from falling in love with this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. As we take the supper, I just wanna read quickly, Revelation 19, just listen. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is, this is to come, the marriage supper of the lamb. It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. We're getting a glimpse every week of what's to come. The already and the not yet. We're getting a glimpse each week as we take this supper of a supper to come where we're revealed as his bride. No more wondering, no more doubting. It's in the books. He reveals it to all of us and then he, he eats with us at the marriage supper. And so we get a glimpse of that each week. So help, hopefully this, this meal that we take today is creating a patient yearning in our hearts for what's to come. Let's take the supper. He is coming back and he is making all things new. And blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Take and eat and take and drink. I wanna say just a couple of things about this groaning that he's talking about here. If you've spent any time in the hallways of our church before and after, um, we have a lot of kids. And you've seen and you've heard groaning at some point around here. And it's this Really what you're hearing is unmerited entitled groaning. <laughs> and that's not what Paul's talking about. Um, 
we, we can groan in this entitled way like this shouldn't be happening to me. But what Paul's talking about is, I know this is happening on purpose and for a reason. And I'm being transparent with you. Had people not stolen from me, lied to me, have an experience loss, had suffering not entered my life, church, I wouldn't be clinging to him. I wouldn't. So I'm grateful for a loving God who uses it on reason and for a purpose to keep me. And that's the groaning that he's talking about. This is not right. This place is messed up. But he's got a reason and a purpose and I believe what he says and I trust him. And then the second thing is, I hope that we're a church that learns to groan together and not groan and just by ourselves, but that when, when I hear you groaning for his coming and I hear things that aren't right in your life and mistakes you've made, and then I'm like, yeah, that's me too. And, and here's what I groan about, and this is what I'm hurting and longing for, and this is why, and it's encouraging when we groan together with creation. If we're to groan with creation, surely we're to groan together. And if you don't have anyone around you to groan with, man, I feel sorry for you. And I hope that you have people to groan with and that you're sharing the sufferings of this life with others so that we can hope together and so that we can persevere together. I know a lot of the small groups haven't been meeting over the holidays, and, um, but they're gonna be getting kicked back up in the next couple of weeks. I hope and pray that you're being faithful, as faithful as you can to attend one of those because that's where we groan together and that's where um, we walk together in the sufferings and the hardships and the difficulties of this life. Um, one last reminder is that no services this Wednesday, this Wednesday night. And then we'll start back the next Wednesday. Is that right, Clint? Okay, all right. Y'all stand with me and let's pray together and then we'll be dismissed. God, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for what you're doing. And as crazy as it sounds, and I, I just am thankful for the suffering you've given us and I pray that it does its work for a reason and on purpose in us to trust you and yearn for you to come back and that this world sees first fruits in us, that you are making things right in our heart and that you're transforming us and that we're different and that we pine for something that they don't pine for and that this church would be uh, the lion in the street, like Micah says, that we would be uh, life to some, death to others. And that's my prayer for us this next year. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all are dismissed.